Well, welcome to another edition of College Coffee Talk. Pearl and Andy Lockwood, Lockwood College Prep. Good morning, Pearl. Good morning, Andy. Hello, everybody. Join us in a synchronized coffee or other beverage sip. Cheers, Cheers. to you. Cheers. Just want to point out, I'm having a cappuccino. I think you are too. I am. Note how nice my cinnamon dusting is. Excellent. Okay, so this is a show that's all about helping uh, get into college, helping pay for college, updating you on the latest news that you can use about college stuff, whether that's uh, student loan forgiveness, which is on tap for today, whether that's the latest on the test optional trends. Uh, if you have any questions that you want to lob into the comments section here, fire away. This is your opportunity to get some free advice and some free college coaching and um, anything goes really college related preferably but uh, anything goes so uh, let's talk a little bit about the past week so uh, there's two big stories there was uh, an update uh, or development to test optional policies and then there was some uh, some uh, Biden Harris administration student loan forgiveness news and I promised last week that uh, if we had time which I will make time for we will talk about the mom who ripped me like, it's like the spy who loved me. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, in terms of test optional, uh, this was another blow to proponents of test optional policies on the grounds that they were uh, unfair to people with lesser resources. And uh, they also argued that the uh, test optional policies weren't accurate indicators of how well someone's going to do in, in college. So, last week, Yale University was the latest school following on the heels of Dartmouth. Um, to abandon their test optional. Yeah. I think it's test flexible. Like you can submit SAT, ACT, or your AP classes, uh, AP tests. There's one more. I think it might have been the IB, but I, I blanked on it. I'm not really a reporter <laughs> in my defense. Um, and, you know, the, the thrust of the argument by the dean of admissions at Yale was that in direct contravention to the rationale behind the test optional policies. Number one, they reduced, not enhanced diversity on campus, which I'll explain. And number two, uh, they are accurate, not perfect, predictors of how well someone will do in college. The main reason why SAT and ACT scores are more accurate is because of no grade inflation, rampant grade inflation in high schools that, uh, you know, that, that makes it harder for admissions officers to figure out whether someone's actually qualified to do the work at that particular, uh, that particular college. So that's just their, you know, what they were saying, that's what you know, we've been saying probably for a couple of years since these test optional policies became much more widespread. Um, and then the other sort of counterintuitive reason why test optional policies suppressed the, um, uh, the, the enrollment of under-resourced and disadvantaged uh, minorities and other college applicants uh, was because apparently those under-resourced students were not submitting their scores because they thought they would be too low and, and therefore remove them from the running into uh, into those particular colleges and, and specifically Yale. So what Yale realized was that they wanted to see these scores, even if they are below the published median, which might be in the mid-1500s for an SAT, if there was someone from a disadvantaged neighborhood 
who didn't have the resources, you know, to pay for, let's face it, people like us and our firm, um, a score for them that was in the 1400s might signal that they were, you know, a diamond in the rough, along with the other 20 or 25 factors that, that uh, admissions officers consider. So that that's why they're going back to uh, requiring tests. Who's with us? Say, give, oh. give some shout outs and then, yeah, and then we can uh, get into the, the next segment um, and answer your questions. So. All right. Good morning to our wonderful Christine. Good morning, Gillian. Up early on the West Coast. Good morning to Chris. Hi, Lori. And can't stay, but she's looking forward to hearing our replay. All right. Good morning. Nice to, nice to see and hear from everybody. Don't be shy. Tell us hi. All right. And if you, if you, if you have a question that you want answered yeah. and we have time to get to it, then that's, this is a great opportunity for that. Yep. Pop it in. All right. Loan forgiveness? Loan forgiveness. Well, <laughs> yet again, we're having a, another go at the loan forgiveness uh, situation. And nothing really has changed in, in this newest iteration of the loan forgiveness in terms of its legality. Um, let me first tell you about it, and then we can get into that. But basically, the newest iteration, which of of course, you know, made a huge commercial splash of, it's Christmas again! And, oh my God, we're getting forgiven all kinds of money, and and wow, I have three hundred thousand dollars in debt, and it's all going to get wiped away! Yay! Oh, you know what? Things are good with these guys. I like what they're offering. I'm going to stick with them. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's the reality of the newest Biden loan. Uh, forgiveness plan. Ready? You mean Biden Harris. Biden Harris. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, first of all, your original loan balance has to be under twelve thousand dollars. Everybody else, this doesn't apply to you. Okay. So, if you borrowed as a student each year the statutorily prescribed amount. 5,500 in the freshman year, 6,500 in the sophomore year. Uh-oh, you see where I'm going with my math? Uh, 7,500 in the junior year, you're out. This doesn't apply to you. So only the people who borrowed less, their original loan amount, less than $12,000, does this apply to? This forgiveness, which has already been determined by another branch of government. We've got three of them to be unconstitutional. That would be the Supreme Court, okay? They already said, no, President, you are going beyond your little branch, your executive branch of power here. If you want to do something like this, who has to do it? A third branch of our government. Somebody needs to tell the executive branch how this all works. Congress will have to pass laws that actually put this into place. So. Here's what's going to happen. I'm no Swami, even though I wear that funny hat once a year. This is going to be raised uh, once again with the Supreme Court. You know, but timing is everything. I mean, that may not happen until like huh, after the elections, where they're going to slap them down again and say, no, still unconstitutional. Nice try once again. Okay. But. Well, man. Yeah, sure. Well, edgy this morning. I have no no feeling about this whatsoever. <laughs> I know, so dramatic. So, um, so, so the first 
one, I can't remember when that was, but that was almost a year ago, uh, was under a different... The um, HEROES Act. The HEROES Act, under a different law. So right. is do you know which one, which authority he's citing for this attempt? And is it a different you know, legal argument that he does have the ability to, to, to do that? Well, this is all it is. It's really, I don't see any new legal okay. argument here. I do hear the HEROES Act once again, which was originally supposed to benefit our veterans. Yeah. Um, and then there was a COVID relief um, angle to this. But COVID has been determined, you know, not really an issue anymore since I think March of 23 well, in terms of these things. Right. Yeah, the president said that. So longer an emergency, exactly. therefore right. emergency relief under, uh, you know, some act that that would grant him the authority to do that. It doesn't exist by his own words. So that's right. It's interesting. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how this works, how fettered this is. Um, first, so you have to have a loan balance that's originally under $12,000. Then you needed to have made 10 years of on-time payments towards that original balance of $12,000 to be eligible first mm. for forgiveness. So first you gotta live through all of that. You have to have an original loan balance of under 12,000. Then you have to make 120 on-time payments before you can even apply for forgiveness. So. All right, so your advice? More that meets, there's more that meets the eye. And my advice is that to the extent that all these, you know, what I will see a hollow promises of loan forgiveness have been made now a second time. What's going to happen and what happens to the original forgiveness that was not, um, there's going to be a default into constitutional existing loan forgiveness plans, which are pretty beneficial, but are not exactly as um, unfair, uneven as this one uh proffers um let me let me ask you this though so so you've uh we, we have a separate business which is about consulting people who have these loan payment uh, these loans coming up on the best ways to repay and all these programs 150 something scenarios or whatever i would say actually that some of the ways that you've been helping people are, are borderline right, <laughs> unfair right. exactly but, but like so you're in the middle of one right now mm -hmm. um which i haven't actually asked you about in a while mm -hmm. but can you can you Kind of give a brief outline, just in case anyone sure. watching is uh, feeling the crush of parent loans or right. or student loans, because there really is real relief out there that may not be quite as ridiculous as what you just described. Right, and and here's the other thing: if anybody uh, with their loans as is, who've done nothing to their loans, they just up oh, the loan servicer is reaching out. Here's a notification: your loans due on such and such a date. Start paying. Here's your monthly price. If you just go along with that and keep paying along, uh, you will not effectively be eligible for any loan forgiveness until you refinance your loans a couple of times, or it's actually called consolidation when we're dealing with the federal loan program, but it is akin to a refinance. Um, you have to do that a few times to change the nature of the loan that you have into such a characteristic that it becomes then eligible for this loan forgiveness plan altogether. This this takes time, months, while you're still maybe confused about what you should be paying or paying, et cetera, and so forth. And then again, once you get to 
the characteristic, you know, the look, the proper loan type transformation, transformation yeah. that Weird. qualifies you for loan forgiveness. It is at that point then you have to certify your income every year for 10 years in a row. You have to make every payment of, of your payment is going to be tied to your income. So whatever your income is, the borrower's income in a certain year, that is going to in this, you know, in the, for this loan forgiveness, that is going to determine what your monthly payment is going to be for that year. And the next year, you're going to have your loan, your, your income recertified, and then a new monthly payment is going to be established for that year. So to the extent that perhaps you have low income initially in this, but by year four, you got a different job, you got a, you know, then, then you bump up because it's tied to your income this monthly payment in this plan you may have a very high monthly payment but you need to pay it on time and not miss a payment that entire year to still be in this 10 years of on-time payment anyway let me just get through it let's say you do great well all right so what i was asking you though i mean that's this all, particular that's all right so i have a family so you, who has got, we've got a few families now i have a few families two of them true. had about four hundred thousand yes. dollars worth of, of student loans that's right parent, parent, loans. parent loans that's right and then you've got another one i don't know as the particulars but it's a similar, similar very amount. similar similar amount so, so, similar scenario so talk about these three families where the before and after okay just to give people an idea and if you want more right. information on this service check out the site i'm going to post in here so in each of these situations, both families had approximately 400,000 in parent loan for college, a few kids worth of, of parent loans. 400,000, the, the first kid, it's six months after graduation, the loans become due. In each of these cases, their monthly payment, if they did nothing, it defaults to the standard monthly payment, which in their case was gonna be $4,000 a month, every month for 10 years. I'll repeat that four thousand dollars a month for just student loan payments okay every month so in both of these situations the borrower um has a low enough income when we are able to separate out from the spouse who is the non-borrower um it's going to require a different type of tax filing um when it's tied to income in each of these situations i'll just sum it up their loan payments are going from four thousand a month to seven hundred and fifty dollars a month, and that's because there is some income. But if there's income even lower, the the monthly payment could even be zero. And as long as you're paying zero, if that's what your income-based repayment is determined to be every month on time payments. Your loan balance is going to go up because even though you're considered on time, you are not reducing your loan balance, obviously, when you're not making payments. So that's the catch. That's the catch. Yeah. So you got to, once you're in it, you got to stay in it. Eventually, what happens if you then successfully, again, recertifying the income every single year is going to determine that year's monthly payments at the end of 10 years, having done this all on time. The rest of the now accrued loan balance at the 10th year will get forgiven. And then there is, though, unless you are eligible for public service loan forgiveness for everybody else, 
you're going to have a tax bomb or tax hit in that 10th year on that forgiven amount. But, you know, basic so that yes, there is some reality to this to this uh this plan. But well, it's a real benefit economically. You're you're it's a huge savings. You're sparing I'm sparing a family from paying $4,000 a month every month for 10 years. It's like unfathomable for so many families to be able to come up with that to something that's manageable doable where they're going to get the rest of it certainly and there they can kick this can down the road you know 10 years plus however many years you didn't have to make payments while you were in school those four years you know from the minute you took out that loan and paid for handled that college expense and i put the, you know the loans themselves are very very either the easiest loans to obtain out of loans out there, easier than a car loan, easier than a, than a house loan, easier than any other loan, even if you were renting a place, this is easier. They don't ask for a debt to income ratio. There is no two years of tax returns that you need to supply like you ordinarily would if you're having, uh, if you're, if you're trying to borrow money. It's just your credit passes. Yes. Your credit passes. No. And if it's a yes, just tell us what you want to borrow and it's yours. And then we're going to tell you how to forgive yeah. it. And you don't have to have a high credit score <laughs> so far. Right. Basically, the no's come to those who have tax liens, recent bankruptcies, recent foreclosures. Otherwise, passes. Yeah. So there's different plans. Um, you don't have to go drop down to, to the lowest payment. Right. And uh, negatively amortize your loan That's true. as much. You've had other other uh, people who chose a, a higher payment just so that wouldn't happen. Right. For those who were um, not comfortable with making such commitment for 10 years to you know keep their income at a certain place, et cetera, and so forth, there are options to have that $4,000 payment where you know more like a going from exactly like going from a 15-year mortgage looks one way you're going to pay it off in 15 years and now you refinance into a 30-year uh 30-year mortgage where your payments are cut in half but now you're taking twice as long to pay it and of course you'll have more interest accrual um but you can still make extra payments like just the same way you could on a 30-year mortgage right. without any penalties or that's anything right like that. exactly there's no prevent payment penalty on these educational loans all right so if you want information on that if you're in a situation like that um pearl can probably help you yeah. go to yesterdaysdebt.com if i can't i'll tell you that too. Uh, and hello to todd johnson pride of quinnipiac one of the greatest hockey players ever to come out of that school just ask him uh, <laughs> michelle lubke chris couch we already said hi to Lori. hello to Amy Douglas Moore, hello to Robert Jarvis. If you guys have any questions, yeah, this is your opportunity. Know. Liz Fitzpatrick, Kareen Draypatz, Beth Pickett. Hello, Beth from the West Coast. Another one of our family members here, Lockwood College Prep, College Advisor Extraordinaire, Don Parsons, Claudia Mara. All right, nice. Uh, the author and, and teacher. She should be teaching now, I think. This is kind of awkward, <laughs> but anyway. Um, all right, so can I talk a little bit about the the mom who ripped me? Sure. And and I don't mean uh, Pearl here. Uh, so uh, this was about three weeks ago. I was going down my list of our seniors, class of 2024 kids that uh, hadn't heard from in a while, which is normal in this cycle because there's a big rush to get all the applications in November through December, et cetera. And then it becomes like a waiting game. Sometimes, you know, there's extra little cleanup stuff to do financial aid wise or whatever, but 
it's, it's kind of a lull after an intense summer. So I emailed the family. I said, hey, what's going on? You know, can you tell me uh, Tom's uh, latest college results? Not his real name. And I got a message back saying, we need to speak to you on the phone. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, that could mean anything. So we finally connected on the phone. And the mom started screaming at me saying, uh, why don't I know what his results are? Um, you know, you're not giving us the the personal you know service and advice that we hired you for. And she just launched into this whole thing. And I was, um, it takes a lot to, for me to be speechless. This this was the one time where I was, you know, I couldn't get anything out because my jaw was was dropping. And then I finally, as as she's ripping me because it was it was like a filibuster. <clears throat> I, I went into my calendar. And just just to you know, sort of quell my own curiosity to see how many meetings we had over the summer and, and all that. And, and so when she came up for air and took a breath, I was like, "Well, wait a minute." Between July and the beginning of, of October, when we were you know rushing to get everything in before November, we had 13 meetings. Okay. In addition, uh, he attended all four of our boot camps. Which we did over the summer, two in uh, September, and I'm sorry, two in July, two in August, and actually there's one in September which he also um, attended, and those were in the mornings from on, on Sundays from 9 a.m. till about one. True, so, during some of the sessions he was like this on a, on a desk, um, not exactly you know burning the midnight oil. Maybe we need a pincher. Well, I, that's not what they hired us. For. I think that's what what she her expe <laughs> expectations were about why she hired us. Um, and then on top of that, she worked with one of our, uh, he, the, the child, Tom, still not his real name, uh, were, worked with one of our you know, essay editors for 12 hours that, that the guy billed me. And I think there were a few more hours that I don't know why he didn't bill me for. So, so I was adding all these hours up in my head and I'm like, okay. And, and, and most of these meetings that we had one-on-one, -on -one, the mom was there too. Mm -hmm. Short memory. So, <clears throat> that wasn't enough apparently. And, mm -hmm. and I had to point out, I said, look, before you retained us, explain to you the whole deal is that this is a two-way street you know we can give advice we can hold kids accountable we can have multiple meetings with them but they have to do the work we're not babysitters we're not going to write the essays but by the way his essay went through probably 12 different drafts it was ex excessive just because he couldn't pull it together which is not t a terrible thing if you finally pull it together so uh i was i was baffled and uh and a little shocked but that, that's that's the thing like this you know when you hire anyone whether it's us or some other professional in a different field or another college advisor or whatever you have to understand that it's a, a two-way street we're only as good as the kids that we coach if they're coachable it's kind of like if you you know uh, i mentioned before about about todd you know if you were a hockey player and the coach said okay you've got to take you know 300 slap shots uh every day over the summer 10 from up top 10 from this side of the, of the ice 10 from this side of the ice and that's how you get better. And if you don't do that, but you still expect to get better, you can't blame the coach, you know, for for not implementing that advice. Mm -hmm. So it was it was kind of weird. I hadn't had something like that happen in, I mean, I can't remember that that happening for years before mm -hmm. I got really careful about screening people before they um, before they hired us mm -hmm. by giving this speech. Like, look, we're not right for everyone. We're not good with kids who aren't coachable. We're not good with kids who aren't motivated. We can't yeah. motivate. I don't think anyone can motivate anyone else. We certainly can't motivate kids. We can help kids who are motivated do a lot better. So that was um, that was awkward.
Did you introduce them to your friend, Mr. Person, Mr. Personal Responsibility? I did mention uh, the word responsibility. How about what's going to happen next year when your kid's going to be all by their lonesome yeah. at college? Right. Now, that's hmm? a very good point. I did not say that. I was remiss. Um, that's going to get awkward. And then you're going to be paying for it a lot more. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, you know, some of the schools that he applied to with his 3.3 GPA mm. were like University of Chicago mm. and a bunch of Ivies. And, you I know, just see myself that way. Well, it was more that his, his mom was pressuring him into applying to these schools, even though when we had these meetings, you know, even before the 13 meetings we had over the summer, which, which were probably another 13 to 15 over that previous year, um, you know, we have a software which helps predict the chances of getting into each school on your list. And those were in the red, you know, meaning two percent, you know, or or less, uh, in terms of his odds of, of getting in. Stats don't lie. You're right. So, uh, you know, it was it was kind of um, awkward hmm. and unpleasant. But here we are. Now you know. <clears throat> so it's not all peaches and cream with with us. Um, all right. Any questions come in? Here? Yes. I see we have a lot of people on. You have a you question. Six minutes left. All right. Go ahead. David wants to know: Have we seen any anecdotal stories on ex student experiences accepting? Guaranteed transfer offers at Cornell. Mm. Also, is Cornell the only Ivy League school that makes guaranteed transfer offers? <laughs> I have one anecdote. Uh, <laughs> our, uh, yeah, our older daughter, we have four kids, and we have one child at Cornell, and we have her older sister, Lizzie, who got the guaranteed transfer uh, option at Cornell, and she was like, going to Michigan. Because <laughs> she got to the Honors College. She just, you know, she won that whole rah-rah, you know, thing. And, and it was totally the right pick for her. So anecdotally, uh, she blew that off. I think, um, I actually have another but we, we have, But I have, I have clients that have done that. And, and, I have clients, and it's great. I have other clients who have also. Um, right. In terms of, I can just, I, in terms of other Ivy Leagues, I'm not really sure. Not to my knowledge. But I can tell you that Cornell does have a very robust transfer program uh your student if they transfer to cornell is not going to feel like they have to really go and navigate it on their own they have an organized transfer program like the freshman orientation program just for transfers it's it's that um well attended and it, it's not just a handful like for example university of pennsylvania they take maybe two transfers a year but at cornell it's like many Many, 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 enough to have a whole orientation class for the, for the transfers. Don't you know someone who did that? Uh, I did that. Oh, right. <laughs> I was thinking about Cindy. And my best friend did too. <laughs> but she did. She went to GW her first year. I went to Skidmore my first year. It wasn't the right place for me. It wasn't the right place for her. And we each transferred, became best friends, and have lived happily ever after ever since. <laughs> Yes, person happy ever ever, ever since. Yes. Um, yeah, the smaller schools don't have that. So, so Penn, Dartmouth definitely doesn't have right. When if like if that. you're at all considering transfer, you really do need to look very specifically at the transfer information. You cannot make a oh well, this is how it was like as an entering freshman. Can't do that. You got to really look at the statistics and see is this a school that has a robust transfer program or not. Uh, the client I was thinking of, besides our daughter Lizzie, who opted not to do that, was um, his name is Jack, and he got into Bucknell, and he at the mm -hmm. same time mm -hmm. he uh, and a few other schools, but also he was offered this option, and so he was gearing up to do this, and then he said, you know what, I just love Bucknell, 
Um, and that happens most of the time when people start off at a college, they generally love it, even if it's not their top choice. They, they grow to be comfortable and you know, they know where all the, whatever, the bathrooms are and the coffee places and, and they, they end up uh, you know, marrying the native, so to speak, and, and loving it. Yeah. So it's great to have the transfer option, uh, but you may not avail yourself of it. And a word on transferring altogether. Um, we do find, and every year just to hear it from our bird's eye view, a uh, lot of kids in their adjustment period um, at school, their first semester, you know, around Thanksgiving time. So my, my kid's not that happy. They're thinking of transferring. I need some advice on transferring. By the way, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's August. It's some, right. Sometimes right. it's like, it's like right two, away. two minutes. I think our earliest record was we had a kid 48 hours in school, then hopped on a plane unbeknownst to mom and flew home. From Indiana. I don't think they lasted 48 hours. I think they right. left after 24. Exactly. Yeah. But it took another day to get to the airport, whatever. Anyway. It was more like, Mom, I'm at the airport. In, I'm in Newark. In Newark. Yeah, right. Long Island, Mom. I'm in Newark. Exactly. Can you pick me right. up? That's right. True story. Um, but what I, what I can share with you, um, because this happens every single year, a lot of kids, when they're not fully adjusted to their school yet, they're unhappy, they're homesick. Our daughter... Started off very homesick at Cornell this year. Um, it's because you make it so nice for her here. I try. Um, what my what generally happens if 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 that's something you want to consider, then you got to do really work really hard so that you have an exit strategy. If you don't do so great in college, that's not going to be helpful when you transfer. They're not going to rely more on your high school work because now you have better, more recent evidence of college work. That's the opposite. So you really need to do very well uh, if you're planning on transfer. Always, you know, cover your bases. So even if you end up deciding not to, and don't don't entrench yourself so into transferring that you ultimately like it there and then feel like you can't go back because you said you were transferring and whatever. <laughs> like, it's yeah. okay. You can just... Give it a chance by, you got to give it at least until middle of the spring to really adjust to a place for it to feel familiar. I always say it takes like four seasons to really know a person, know a school. It's true. Um, well, the, other advice, it, the other advice that you gave, which I thought was very good to our own daughter and to everyone is go get involved, get out of your dorm room, yeah. do stuff. So to her credit, she joined a sorority. She got uh, um, a role in uh, a play, the musical, uh, recently. Mm -hmm. She joined an acapella group. Yeah, she's you know, an officer she's, now that acapella right. so, group. So she's, she's thrown herself into it. Yeah, and and there's no homesickness anymore. Right, there isn't. But 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 it happens. Uh, and if it's but just leave room for um, getting over that homesickness. And what I have found just statistically is by spring. Oh no, they decided they liked it there. We're not transferring. So it happens. So if and when that happens, don't panic. It's okay. Have ha Cover your bases both ways. Try to get involved. Try to entrench yourself and root yourself in a new environment. Of course, people are going to be homesick. You're literally pulling yourself away from anything that was ever familiar, your family, your friends, whatever things you, activities you and sports and um, extracurriculars you were involved in, in, in high school, it hasn't really happened yet. You know, you don't touch down to college and have an established life. It's one that you need to create and it takes some time and there's an adjustment. 
And as you adjust, you become more com comfortable in your new place, in your new space. So um, just don't panic if that happens, cover all your bases, and hopefully, you know, uh, things will adjust and there isn't a transfer ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're gonna wrap up here. Uh, final comments here from um, Pearl, this is Leslie, so you don't think my husband is a creeper. Just want to say you were looking great and your hair looks awesome. Thanks. That's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and Beth, our, our one of one of our, our family members here is a, uh, one of our college advisors. Uh, you know, reiterated that uh, a student got into BU as a transfer, and she was probably. It sounds like she was going to do that, but then she ended up loving her first school, which was Indiana, so she stayed. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the rule, not the exception. Yes, definitely. Yep. Yeah. All right, guys. Th thanks a lot for watching. We'll be here again next week. Monday, every Monday, 10 a.m. College Coffee Talk. And if you have any questions about uh, anything we said or anything else, pop them right here in the in the comments, and one of us will will get back to you. Lickety split. Have a great week.